Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome back to Tripping Up, the comedy travel podcast that's sort of unfairly making us all think about travel when we currently can't. (laughs) I'm your host, Nina Clapperton. I'm a travel blogger and solo travel expert. This week, together, we'll explore the world with Catherine Parker-Megnar, a travel and cultural writer. Catherine has visited 63 countries, six continents, and all 50 states to pursue a good story. You can find her work in Architectural Digest, Departures, Business Insider, Forbes, and more. She's a prolific travel writer. Catherine is living my dream, solo traveling around the world and getting paid to write about it. She goes beyond the usual stories of top beach huts and gets to the heart of a location, finding unique perspectives and things to do. Which is why I'm so excited to have her on Tripping Up to share some of the times that those adventurous explorations led to some less than ideal results. Join us as we talk about expired passports and hidden daggers in this bonus episode that's a little bit longer and gives you a taste of our Patreon. This is Catherine Parker-Megnar on Tripping Up. Now boarding. Hi, Catherine, and welcome to Tripping Up. Hi, so excited to be here. We're really glad to have you. So we're going to start with uh, you telling our listeners a little bit about how you travel and why you travel. Perfect. So I, my love of travel predates my current career as a travel journalist. I've always loved to travel because I love people and I think travel really is other people. And from a young age, my parents sort of didn't slow down when they had four kids. They just threw us in the back seat. So I did growing up a ton of sort of cross country road trips where we would drive from New Jersey to California and back. And, you know, I was probably seven or eight when it started And it made such an impression on me, like the vastness of the country. Like you see more driving than flying, which is very COVID appropriate at the moment. And then I had certain trips that were really impactful for me. I guess on the road trips growing up, we would visit Native American reservations and different museums. And it opened my eyes to other experiences aside from my own, which is a white female from the East Coast. And then I guess like I visited my sister's 
far more interesting probably should be on the podcast instead but she's you know <laughs> fluent in Arabic and had a Fulbright scholarship in Jordan wow and going over to visit Jordan and I grew up outside of New York City so after September 11th I think with um Bush conflating essentially you know an isolated act of terrorism with Al-Qaeda to the entire country of Iraq there was and homelands and the, the pervasiveness of like cultural depictions there was an uncertainty, I guess, around that part of the world that I thought I was immune to. And when I visited, I was like taken aback by the kindness of the people that I met. My sister warned me because like I've been a New Yorker and she was like, this is a culture of recognition. People will look at you on the street and people are going to ask you, where are you from? And, yes. and I really stood out. Um, I was the only American, you know, with my media, with my sister and parents in a lot of places. And I felt so safe. And, but also I felt like my eyes were so opened. And when I returned back to the US, you know, I did this work with um, Syri with Syrian refugees and it wasn't until, but I always felt like I saw something and, you know, see something, say something like I would want to convey, you know, my experiences. And I feel like travel is so profoundly transformative. And I would always have these stories that I wanted to tell. And when I started out as a freelance journalist, I really thought that travel would be it. Like I would definitely get in, but it took a little while but not that long, actually, like only like six months or so. And now I'm, you know, I'm published. I published my first story in Departures, writing for them, published in the Architectural Digest, Forbes, Trip Savvy, World Travel Magazine. And so I sort of have my own version of a dream job, which is, you know, get to go to Nepal and report on it. And that has been sort of different in the past, you know, year because of yeah. COVID-19. So I'd spent up until this week in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I'm focusing more on the American West. But I feel like the desire to travel and the need for travel writing, like that's not reliant upon, you know, cheap, accessible flights. Like I'll read about a place and even if I can't go immediately, it'll stay with me. And I feel like transformative travel in particular, it's really the stories, it's the personal stories. And I find myself eager to like read anything about other people and other parts of the world and feel a sort of unity of humanity, which sounds yeah. actually as an awkward phase, but I mean, thank God we don't have Trump anymore, but being stuck <laughs> at home and, you know, the election and, you know, the disastrous COVID response, it's easy to lose your belief in the goodness of humanity, at least in my experience. And travel is one of those things that's an antidote to the modern news cycle in the sense that I found people around the world are fundamentally good. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, I mean, I'm from Canada and road trips weren't a part of my childhood. I think Canada's getting into it now, but America is so well known for their brilliant road trips. Although I'm sure it would have been difficult with that many children in the car. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I think it's, I think that there's this misconception that, and I don't have children, so I mean, easy for me to say, but that you <laughs> sort of have to wait until your kids are older to expose them to travel and culture. But I think you have to teach kids like what to care about and what to be curious about and how to travel. Yeah. And that was just a crash course in becoming a travel writer. You know, I would get, get in the backseat. I had like siblings and diapers and they're like car seats. And I'd be like, are we there yet? And I remember being told you're going to fall asleep. You're going to wake up. You're going to fall asleep for the night again. And you're going to wake up and you still won't be there. So just embracing the chaos, like travel's not supposed to be you know, it's not supposed to go perfectly, perfectly smooth. It just isn't. You're in a foreign place, you know, you're not, you're, and it's good. You're out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. and just being open to that. And also being open to the people that you meet and 
one thing I love to do, and I, it was in a book I read called While You Were Breathing, which is actually funny. Um, I forget what the author's name is, but she was pretty much like, I love doing the thing you're supposed to do and the place you're supposed to, supposed to do it. So, you know, if you're in the Arctic visiting a reindeer farm, if you're in Kenya, well, depending on where you're in Kenya, yeah. but if you're in like the Maasai Mara, you know what I mean? Like going, going on safari, or if you're in Peru hiking in the Andes, just and I find the more far-flung destinations, the more I learn from it because it's just an experience different from my own and the most more inspiring it is. Yeah. But it's always the people that are the story. Like I was in the Amazon rainforest this past, um, I guess it was this past spring. No, last spring. Crazy. I feel like time doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. You know, I had probably a full notebook about notes about the trees I was seeing. You know what I mean? And then I had another notebook that was like my hosts with the Amazon nature tours were all indigenous from the area. So they grew up in the Amazon and it was really their stories. And that's always the most powerful part. You know, you come back and like at the end of the day, like I love a descriptive paragraph as much as any Fitzgerald fan, but it's really the people that are, that's going to make the place come alive to you. And it's those sort of interpersonal interactions and getting beyond whatever differences you may have to bonds. Like I've talked about a breakup with this man who's preserving wild bongos in Nanyuki, Kenya for like two hours. You know what I mean? We talked about, and he had a totally different situation where like he like couldn't pay his bride price and all this, but it was the same. It all came down to the same thing, you yeah. know? So people, I think also as curious as you are about other people, they, they will be about you. Like if you're yeah. open, vulnerable, kind people are going to return that and I think that so much of like what you get in this world is what you give and I find that's like extremely true with travel if you go somewhere with an open mind and and curiosity and like willingness to make friends you're gonna that's what you'll receive in return exactly and I think like that's a very good point and a number of our episodes um people have highlighted that like the people they've met along the way have been the ones that shape them shape the experience and I think I mean First of all, I gotta say, like refurbishing bongos sounds like a great time. Like I just, I, like it's such a unique thing that like you don't usually hear about. So it is really fascinating. Yeah. Well, so there are these mountain bongos that exist in Kenya and there are only like 20 of them left or something, 20, 20 or 30. And now at this place, it's the Mount Kenya Safari Club. And it used to be a hunting lodge. that was like frequented by Hemingway and now it's turned into a conservation. And I met this man, Donald Bungie, and he is just iconic. I mean, he grew up and he was given, basically, I think he was given, he wanted a chicken. And his mom was like, well, you know, I don't know. He acquired a chicken, somehow found the chicken in me, ended up with a flock of chicken, traded the chickens for a goat, got it like, and then had like cows. And basically himself was his own conservationist by the age of 12. So it's like, if there's one person who's going to preserve the mountain bongo population, it's this one, it's this, is this man who's loved animals his entire life and just seeing just these inspiring, unique stories of people. And they're, you know, a lot of, a lot of national heritage and pride is the, is the landscape and is the wildlife. And I feel like, you know, you have that in the U S which is horrifying. I actually was in Alaska recently last summer and I was in the Tongass national forest, which now Donald Trump is trying to open up to drilling. And yeah. It's like the largest national forest, I believe in the country. And I met with um, Joe, what's his name? Joseph Williams Jr., who was like a Tlingit guide. He's a eagle killer whale, I think. Or if I, sorry, Joe, if you're listening to this and you're a killer whale eagle, but he's a member of those tribes. And there's so much 
spirituality, culture, history tied into preserving these places. And I, I mean, the world went nuts when Notre Dame burned down, but the Tongass National Forest is like our Notre Dame too. So just realizing, you know, I feel like a lot of landscape impacts attitude and personality and history. So just getting those unique stories from people who can tell it best. Like, you know, I don't want like an American guide telling me about the flora and fauna, but you know, I don't want in a foreign, in a foreign country, I'd love to be with locals. Mm -hmm. Of course. I think, yeah, I think that really does add to the uniqueness of the experience. And speaking of unique things, I'd love for you to share with us your odd, unique, weird souvenir. Okay, I would love to. And I also need to preface that this is a gift for someone else. And I'm not, you know, I'm talking about selflessness and humanity, but I wish I kept this. (laughs) But basically, so I'm not someone who always, who has a collection that I'm always updating. I wish I did. And maybe before I went to 43 countries in two years, like maybe if I'd had that. Yeah. But so as a result, I'm sort of just like vibing with whatever I see and scrapbooking. Highly recommend scrapbooking as a COVID activity when you're stuck at home. I'm like, well, you know, I don't have anything, but I took Instagrams. But so my dad, he collects swords, I think is an awesome collection from all over the world. And so he has little plaques for where the swords are from. So we are in, we are in um, Jordan and my dad buys this huge sword. I guess you won't be able to see the video, but I would say this, I would say the sword is like, I don't know, 36 inches long, longer. And I get a little machete that's probably, you know, the size size of a ruler. Mm -hmm. And I get it engraved with the name John, because that was my boyfriend's at the time, in Arabic. So we're going through, we're at this checkpoint going in from Jordan to Palestine. My dad goes before me with his like L.L. Bean tote bag. Those things are very durable, by the way. I still use them. And he just slides through. The sword goes undetected. I go after him. And meanwhile, like, I'm not recommending smuggling weapons in general, but like I had tucked away the sword machete. Suddenly all of the alarms go off. And the man, and people are so polite there. This man is like, miss, are you carrying a weapon? Which like, this is a very like contentious border, like going in from Jordan to Palestine. And I was like, no, sir. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, okay, miss, I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to search your bag. Which is, so I look over. I'm brought over to like, you know, this corner and I look over at my parents and they're smoking hookah, drinking tea with my sister acting like they don't know me. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm in this alone. And there's so much, like the guard was too polite to rummage through my stuff. So I had to rummage through my stuff. So there's like a bathing suit from the Dead Sea. He's blushing, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'll be fine. He's too, he's too bashful to go all the way through this bag. So I'm like, oh, I can't find it. And then he like lifts up my shoe, my little shoe bag. Yeah. And withdraws the dagger and is like, miss, is this it? And I was like, oh, yes, actually. I'm so sorry. I forgot I had it. And he's like, it's okay. Like, I have to take you somewhere, though. Mm-hmm. So, like, my parents are, like, waving by. Like, literally, they're going to get to Palestine if I don't. We're walking through the desert. Just to give you some scale, like, we've taken a three-hour bus from the city of Amman, the capital of Jordan, into, like, the middle of the desert. And then we're going to get another bus to go to Palestine. And I, there's this glass, we've gone, the checkpoint was probably like the size, it looked like a cafe, it was very small, but then there's this huge all glass building right next to it, I guess the security headquarters. So he leads me into this room of all glass and there's a guy, a decorated military official with his feet up on the desk, surrounded by probably 12 or 13 other, you know, Jordanian soldiers or Jordanian guards, some of them smoking, everyone's cackling. And my guard, the guard hands the official, 
the sword and says something in Arabic. And then the man, the like the, the head security, like unsheaths the dagger and is waving it around and is like, John, who is John? And I was like, John is my boyfriend. I'm so sorry. And he was like, puts back and he goes, John is a lucky man. And just hands me the sword. And I took it. And I was able, and I literally, I was able to take it. Israel was much more stressful, but I was checking a bag. That's definitely the weirdest souvenir. But it's funny because I actually saw this, this guy recently. And he was on a cross-country trip to California. And I was telling the story to some of his friends. And he ran upstairs and brought back down the sword. Oh my so I'm goodness. like, okay, good. You can be a steward for it. But that was <laughs> definitely the craziest, definitely the craziest souvenir. I've, you know, I, I was saying swords are a good collecti- collection, but, you know, maybe in hindsight, maybe in hindsight, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like photos of swords is a better collection. <laughs> yes, but I have to say the best places for souvenirs and to bring cash, and I wish I'd known this more in advance. I mean, I knew this, but I didn't like take full advantage. Morocco, yes. Kenya. Peru and Nepal, like those places, like I still think, I still think about the stuff I wasn't able to get and like the Maasai market in Nairobi. Oh my God. So yeah, I spent far too much of my money in Morocco on everything. Like my friend and I have matching um, silver tea trays with our tea for like oh my God. and everything. Neither of us drinks tea. So I don't really know why I was like, we have to have it's the corner. But yeah, <laughs> I was a full nomad when I was traveling that much. Obviously, like I was in like a new country almost every week. So I didn't buy as much, as much home decor stuff. And I regret that. But at the end of the day, also, I'm like, I've got the photos. You can blow up the photos. So, and I've thankfully got the travel stories. I feel like my trip isn't over until I filed at least a couple stories about it. So yeah, one day I think I'll bind them on to a book or something. Yeah. Or I'll hopefully writing a book about my travels. So stay tuned on that. I was going to say, I'm like, honestly, it sounds like you have enough that like you could probably write multiples about like all like one on people, one on stuff, one on the activities. (laughs) Yeah. So many agents out there, I was thinking about doing, cause that for every trip you go on or I go on, and this is something I pride myself on as a journalist, but I also feel like if you're in travel, like this should be a no brainer. Like I never, it's never like, Oh, I couldn't find a story. Like I always find so many stories. And so it's a matter of there are the stories you've published and the stories yet to be published. And like, I would love to do a book of personal essays, sort of like Alina Dunham's not that kind of girl, but yeah, each chapter, a different country. So, and like a different experience. So I think one of my next stories will be its own chapter and I've written about it, but definitely want to write about it more. Yeah, of course. Well, and like, I highly advocate everyone like have a travel journal when they go. I have like a whole blog post about like how to start one, why to start one and kind of like some of it's a bit scrapbooky as well for like all those ticket stubs that like, like, I think I had three drawers in my mom's old house, like just of ticket stubs from around. And like, I went through them recently and I was like, why did I have this ticket stub from like, uh, it was like the, we, we were really young, but it was like the um, Jack the Ripper tour in London. I think I was eight. And I was like, this isn't one of those ones like I need to keep because I was traumatized by that thing. So. Oh my God. <laughs> I had, I'm not kidding, probably like eight or nine just crates, like huge yeah. crates of like ticket stubs. You know, every pamphlet, as a travel, as a journalist, like you get all the pamphlets, but also a ton of maps and not that is actually some, that is what I collect actually. Yeah. But not like maps that I've purchased. Like I wish that like I purchased, but like, honestly, like just, you know, the, the guide to the national park, like the national park map in St. John, or, you know, the map of the subway in Kyoto. Yeah. And 
I framed pretty much, this is my project. I framed almost all of them and maybe individually one of this looks a little random, but when you have like a huge collection all together, it really does tell a story. Yeah. So maps and postcards are really cheap, easy ways to, I mean, I like my memories hanging on my wall. So yeah. recommend it. Exactly. Like I've, see, I'm a bit the opposite. Like I like my memories. I don't, I don't never decorate walls. I mean, I'm quite, I think I'm too indecisive and not very visual in that way. So I make books out of it. So like um, when I, I spent like a year being a nomad in Europe and I created a cookbook of recipes I collected from people throughout my travels and then like made a copy for myself and my mom. And we have like the only two copies of these like really unique cookbooks of all these local, like um, any like kind of known I've met along the way. I was like, hey, so can I have a recipe? <laughs> I love that. I cannot cook to save my life, yeah. but that is a cool thing. Yeah. Well, I think that's a nice thing about souvenirs. It's like you can, and you can always change it. Like I think collections, I mean, I don't know. I collected like snow globes at one point, which is why like my rule for this podcast is like your unique thing can't be a snow globe unless it's a really good one. Yeah. I've seen them all. <laughs> I have to say I was collecting jewelry, which is probably dumb as a constant traveler. Cause you know, earrings do break, but I lost an entire jewelry case. People should invest in hard cover jewelry cases, by the way, if they're traveling, like it's worth it. But in Turkey. And now I'm like, God, like, I mean, I basically all the beaded headbands and necklaces and bracelets from the Saimara. Like I have places I need to go back to. Like I need more Moroccan rugs. Yeah. I need more, but really the Kenyan headbands that yes. is probably a weird souvenir. Like, Oh, I went to Kenya and I got this headband, but you'll know what I'm talking about when you say they're amazing. Mm-hmm. So I, I lost two of them in, Tur- in Turkey, but I still have one. So yeah, people are ever in Kenya. And if you're in Peru, get sweaters. Oh my God. Yes. So good. I still wear all of my swag from Peru pretty much daily. Yeah. So. Well, that's amazing. And now we'd love if you would share your tripping up travel story with us. I'd love to. So this happened before I was a travel writer. I was working in New York and I really wanted to go to Jamaica. And now I, I'm a Caribbean expert for Trip Savvy. I'm the Caribbean expert. So I'm writing about the West Indies all the time. I've been to over half the islands, but I need to go to all of them. And I had fallen in love with the idea of going to Jamaica because of the history there. Like the Slavers Revolt, I found to be like so inspiring. Basically, it was a peaceful sit down. I think it was the day after Christmas, right around the holidays, because they'd heard that slavery was outlawed by the um, British Parliament. It turned out not to be true at that moment, but um, they called Slavers Bay the wickedest place on earth. So a lot of people who came into the Caribbean, to other parts of the Caribbean, were coming through Jamaica. So there's that history. And then just the culture. Do you know what I mean? Like Bob Marley, Jamaican music. Who is the other guy who I love? Jimmy Cliff. And then, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my other favorite musicians, like Keith Richards, his, a lot of, a lot of his like most creative periods were in Jamaica. And just, you know, just, I wanted to go so badly. So I planned this trip with two friends and you know, when you feel like something's wrong and I still struggle with this, but you don't check on it. I felt like things weren't fully right with my passport, but like a fool, I didn't really take a good look at it until the day of my trip. When I'm at my desk, I look at it and my passport was expired a year ago, which literally would not happen today because I've had to get, I've had to get passports within 24 hours. I'm uber aware of what's going on with my passport at all times. And I was like, oh my God, like, what do I do? So I'm researching it. I call my dad, who's a professional enabler to me. And he also works in politics and he's looking on his side. I'm looking on my side. I called the Jamaican embassy, the U.S. embassy in Jamaica, and this guy, and I talked to this lovely man, 
And I'm like, I've got a problem. He's like, miss, what's wrong? And I was like, you know, my, my passport's expired. He's like, oh, don't worry. You can come tomorrow and you can get an emergency travel letter and you can go home. And I was like, really? And he was like, oh, yes. Have you been in Jamaica before? I was like, no. And he's like, oh, don't worry, man. Like, you will love it. Like, literally, like, so, like, kind. And I was like, great, great, great. I call my dad and my dad's like, look, Kate, it looks extremely sketchy. He's like, it looks like they'll let you in, but you might not be able to get back out. And I was like, what would you do? And he's like, well, have you been to Jamaica before? And I was like, no. He's like, well, you know what I would do. Don't tell your mom. So I go to JFK. This is like, and honestly, I have to acknowledge my own privilege traveling as a white female. And this actually happened right before the travel ban that Trump imposed towards Muslims. So like the story I wrote tied that in. So I got to JFK and I just breezed through customs where basically he's like, excuse me, like you're going to a country. He's like, your passport's expired. I'm like, don't worry. I know a guy in Kingston. He's going to take care of that. And so he's like, all right. So America let me out. Yeah, I'm on yeah. the flight to Kingston in the air. I was like, oh God, like now I've got to like land and get through. And then I was like, well, whatever, I'm already out. I'm already in the air. It'll be okay. With traveling with two friends and I go up to the um, arrivals desk at Kingston and I'm last in line because I know this is going to be a bit of a moment. Hand her my passport. And this woman is like, excuse me. She was like, do you have a license? Meanwhile, I'm a New Yorker. I didn't even have a driver's license. Like none of this do, do not do it. Do as I say, not as I do here. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. She's like, hold. And so the head of security at Kingston airport comes up to me and she goes, what's like, how did you get in? And I was like, I talked to this person at the embassy last night. She's like, it's, it's three in the morning. She was the embassy is not even open for another four hours. I'm like, I'm like, I know. She's like, who did you talk to? First mistake, always get the name and number of whoever is enabling you. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I was yeah. like, I don't know, but I think it'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. She goes, all right, listen, safest thing for you to get on a flight and go home. And I was like, yeah, I, I have confidence. She was like, look, we'll let you into Jamaica. I'll let you into Jamaica, but the onus is on you to find your own way out. And I was like, okay, challenge accepted. Insane. <laughs> so I remember when I was on the phone with this guy, he was like, just come to the embassy first thing in the morning. So I told my friends I was traveling with, I was like, look, you guys go to Montego Bay. I'm fine staying here. And I, to quote my sister who gets afraid of animals, but not people. She's like, I'm never that scared of humans. I feel like I know what they're after. Like Kingston was known to be a little bit unsafe, but like, I felt fine. I was like, you guys can leave me here. I'll chill. They stayed with me and my driver comes over, Philip Linton, who I'm still in touch with. I love him. Yeah, And he was like, oh, you're not going Montego Bay. I was like, no, I've got to go to the embassy. He's like, all right, tell him the story. So we drive to the embassy and I get there and there are hundreds of people in line, like easily 200 people in line, right? And I'd been told there was a separate American line, but I didn't feel comfortable going right to the front. So I start from the back and I'm telling everyone my story. Do you know what I mean? I'm getting a lot of encouragement. Like, oh, this girl has no papers. Like, good luck. Like I've been in this line for months. You know, I've got the crowd Thankfully, I had the crowd on my side because I was, yeah. I was supposed to go in a separate line anyway. But yeah, by the time I got to the front, I was like, I've got the nation of Jamaica <laughs> sympathize, <laughs> empathizing with me. Oh my God. Only in Jamaica. I was lucky I was in Jamaica though, because honestly, this whole attitude. So I get to the front of the line. This woman is working for the, at the embassy and she's like, it's an appointment basis. The next available appointment is in three weeks. And that was something my bank account or my job wouldn't allow for. I'm like, what should I do? She's like, call Jeff Blue. So I call Jeff Blue and I'm like, I'm in Jamaica. I need not be number aside from how the hell did you get there? And they're yeah. like, go back to the front desk of the airport and beg. And I was like, okay. And I had one of those moments of what have I done wrong in my life to lead me to here? 
I was on my way back to the Jamaica airport. The Blue Mountains were around me. And I was like, I'm in the most beautiful part of the world. And I have to go home. Like I'm a fugitive right now. I get to the desk and this man is working for JetBlue. Lovely man. Everyone in Jamaica is lovely. I mean, honestly, if this was another country, it would probably be more of a problem too. He goes, miss, what's wrong? And I was like, look, my passport is expired. I need to go home right now. He's like, when did you get here? And I was like, four hours ago. He's like, oh, stay. He's like, stay the weekend. And I was like, really? Like, you know, the government of the U.S. and Jamaica are both like, you're going to be stuck there indefinitely. And he's like, no, no, no. You call an international number. It'll be fine. And against the advice of both governments, I, I believed in him. Yeah. And I spent the weekend and I had a talk about like delusion. I had a wonderful weekend. Like I was able to put it on my mind. And then on the drive back, Philip Linton, this drive, our drive, my driver, we bonded. We talked about, you know, the history. He took me into the heart of Trenchtown with like a lot of white people never got to see. And he was like, look, you're going to be fine. You go in there. You say, I'm a U.S. citizen. Get out of my way. And he was like, but if you don't, but if that doesn't work out, here's my WhatsApp. Call me. Like you can stay with me and my wife. I got to the airport, go to the front. And the lady's like, oh my God, like this is expired. I was like, I know this man said it would be okay. She's like, what's his name? And I did have his name. She's like, yeah. well, he's not working today. And I didn't know anyone who was working that day. Long story short, she calls the international hotline. They give me clearance to return home. I go to apologize to her and she goes, don't I go, I love your country. I will never disrespect it again by arriving without papers. I'm so sorry. She goes, oh, we're only human. We all move way too fast. It happens to everyone. Like only in Jamaica would it be like, don't oh, worry, yes. happy. I land in the U.S. thinking I'm in the clear. I'm like, thank God. So it's at customs and security. And, you know, we're going through and I've like signs that I've returned. She looks at my paper, my return paper on the flight I was on. And then my passport and is like, oh my God. She was like, cause the, cause both airline, the airline didn't mark me down as being a passenger because I was slipped under. So the woman holds up the line, calls over her colleague and is like, look at this. Like she just got, went to a Jamaica and there's no evidence she ever left. And she's like, look, I'm not mad. I'm more impressed that you got back <laughs> here, but I'm going to need to take you to the department of Homeland security. So I go into the department of Homeland security. I'm stressed. But I'm also like, I'm on American soil. Like they can't really send me back. So they're calling out names and you know, I'm the only white, I'm the only white person in this room. Do you know what I mean? Like everything, I feel like I was given a pass. Like I can't imagine traveling if I was black, if I was Muslim, like yeah. that being stated. But so I get called out there, like Parker Magyar and the guy is like, so you're in the habit of traveling the third world countries without any documentation. <laughs> and I was like, would we call Jamaica third world? And he goes, would we call you in a position to negotiate? And then he's like, look, this passport is, is a weapon for someone like you waving in front of me. He's like, I'm going to get a call from Russia saying that, you know, you just ended up there and you didn't plan on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please, I've collected so many stamps. I have so many stamps. Please give it. And he, he was like, fine. So I'm going to give it back to you. He's like, I'm giving you this number to call, which was like an expedited like passport. Because he goes, tell them I sent you. Don't tell them I'm worried you're too comfortable traveling without papers to be bothered. Welcome mm-hmm. back. <laughs> so I made it back. If I had one piece of advice though, and this, and this is a weird thing to say, like for people, cause number one, your passport should be your life appendage. Do you know what I mean? When you're traveling, but I have to say passports do get lost and stolen when you're traveling. And if you arrive, I think the, the way that I got through all this, particularly on the way back is that 
I think that if you roll up somewhere and you're like, I'm an American traveler, it's happened to a friend of a friend of mine. She lost her passport in the Bahamas and had such an attitude about it that they like almost detained her, which for the Bahamas to detain an American tourist, you have to be a real pain. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you are like very open about you messed up, here's the situation. Like it happened in Turks and Caicos, my passport like slipped into like a taxi, into the crevice between my taxi seat. And I had flew home recently again without a passport and like take a picture of your passport, memorize your passport number and just be amenable. Like don't have any, like, I feel like at every turn, it's like you're putting yourself in their hands and like people are sort of, as mentioned, like helpless if you're nice. Yeah. Just be nice. There's no, and as a travel writer, I don't, I'm not even able to do like, do you know who I, or I'm a writer. I'm a, I can't even use that. Like your best defense isn't being someone who's like a rich American, connected American, which I can't even claim I'm a writer, but I can be like, well, I'm a journalist. And like, that doesn't work. Be Mm -hmm. nice, be humble. And hopefully you'll get home. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's the important bit is like, as long as you, I think in any situation, if you accept your faults and you kind of admit that you did something wrong, people are so much more willing to help you. If you're like, Hey, I'm not going to scream at you. I accept that. Like I did this and it's on me. (laughs) Yes. Own it. You have to, I hate Serena and the real housewives. And I don't know if anyone else is listening is a real housewives fan, but like for once her advice is good. Own it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only great advice they've given in my opinion, but Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I don't, yeah. I don't watch them, but actually, um, my story has a lot to do, a lot of similarities. Um, and it's also kind of, it's Jamaica adjacent. Um, so I, in my first year of university, my mom and I do this thing, uh, she calls it birthday trips. So because I have three siblings, there's four of us, it's a lot of work for her and my stepdad. So every year we get a birthday trip with our biological parent where we just get like alone time with that person, which I think is the best parenting hack I've ever heard of. Um, and they're usually like quite short. Usually it's like a weekend somewhere, like um, from my first one was going to New York from Toronto. But this one, because um, it was also my reading week, she was like, let's go to Jamaica. We'd been there when I was little, but not recently. And like, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was like, I'm really stressed. University sucks. I really want to get out and do something. So um, I flew back to Toronto first to see her and kind of get my stuff. Um, I didn't, like, I hadn't packed bikinis to go to my first year. So I needed to grab a few um, and get some stuff sorted. So... I, we were in Toronto for a couple of days and then we were going to head down from, um, Pearson airport. And I'm not sure if you're, uh, familiar with Pearson in Toronto, but like big airport, not the best run airport in the world. I'll be honest. Like, I spent like 15 hours there once. I think we were flying Air Canada. I'm not certain though. It's like, that's what she used to fly for work a lot. So we got to the airport, we'd like packed. It was still like, I was still in that early travel phase where I would overpack for every trip. Um, so like giant suitcase being lugged around. So we got to the airport, got it all kind of ready to go. And then suddenly like, I mean, we get there early as you always do. You get there, you sit down, you get like your Tim Hortons and you wait for a while. So we're sitting there waiting. And like, I, I, we'd arrived earlier than usual, but not that early. So we're waiting and like an hour goes by. And then another hour goes by. And then a third hour goes by. And we're kind of like, I mean, we didn't get here eight hours early. Like wh what's happening? Like this is a, common flight like it was spring break for everyone so like quite a busy airport um and so finally they make an announcement and they're like sorry like we're having some issues with the pilot and eventually they kind of admit we don't have a pilot <laughs> so oh my god so we've been sitting there waiting like just trying to like they kind of kept saying like oh quick delay quick delay like over and over and over again to appease us and then finally they admit um so what had happened was they had booked a pilot who wasn't in the country. So he was actually somewhere else in the world, like complete scheduling snafu. Their backup pilot was in like Winnipeg. So like not able to get over to do this again. So they had to hunt down a brand new pilot, wake this poor person up. I'm pretty sure it was a man. Um, like definitely he was like, I, it was his day off or he was like, had just gotten in and was like chilling for a minute. So they had to like hunt this man down and then get him in. So then that took another like hour or two. And it's funny. I was talking, oh to, my my, God. I was talking to my mom about this recently. She has no memory of this part of the trip. <laughs> I think it's like, to me, this was like the part of the trip where I was like, we like, are we going to get to go to Jamaica? Like, are we going to, I was really annoyed because I was in Toronto and it was snowing. And I was like, I think I was wearing like a t-shirt. I refused to put on a jacket to go to the airport because I was so set on like, we will be somewhere warm. I need to be somewhere warm. She blocked it out. Oh, like totally repressed it. And like, event like eventually they did get this guy in and we were able to get on the plane and like great pilot. I don't know. I don't know how to judge a pilot, but like we got there. So that's all that I care about. Um, and yeah, but the whole time, like 
while we were sitting there, I kind of, I, I don't have a great perception of time. So even while waiting, I was like, oh, maybe I'm just thinking it's this long thing. Like until about an hour in when they started announcing that it was running late. And I, I just remember like we got to Jamaica finally. And it was like this breath of fresh air because like time does move differently in Jamaica. They're much chiller. Yes. Like, everything is so much more casual, but it's also like you get there and the stress goes away and yes. like in more ways than one. Cause like, yeah, you usually are traveling there from like busy cities or whatever, like you need to chill. So we kind of got there and they were just like, yeah, you're in Jamaica now. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't be mad about this. I can't be stressed. No. Jamaica. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love how both of our mishaps and triumphs are in Jamaica. Yeah. I think like it's it's one of those like countries as well that I think a lot of North Americans go to and they go to it and it's like they hear all those horror stories or whatever of things going wrong. So they think that if something's going to go wrong, it's going to be like really, really bad. But actually like most people I've talked to who've had things like quote unquote go wrong in Jamaica, it's like, oh, I couldn't get to the jerk hut I wanted to go to quite as often. Or like yeah. my like tour ran an hour. Like what, like it's like little things where it's like, oh, were you like abducted and killed no because like that it's not really the worry you needed to have you needed to worry about like are you going to spend four times too much on cool souvenirs or are you going to like just like spend way too much time in the ocean and get a sunburn (laughs) like (laughs) it's true and I find there's so much more to the West Indies in general than the beach yeah and I feel like it's like honestly a colonial racist hangover where people are like oh well if you need culture you need to go to Europe and that's just not the correct way of looking at things like not just the Caribbean Hawaii Mexico like Mm -hmm. I did what I view as a Caribbean safari last winter and I was in like 16 islands in the month of January and I've never been to more museum openings in my life and like learn about like the Kalanago and creeds and races of people that honestly so much I feel like I'm the more I travel the more I'm recognizing how limited my expensive private education was in the sense that I know all about Henry VIII's dating life but you know there's so much but but then there's so little that I know about you know the history of like for example you know Jamaica, Dominica, Grenada and so I feel like you know go for like come for the beach stay for the culture like there's a reason that it's known as paradise like and I think it's beyond the fact that it's so beautiful and also the fact that it's just so welcoming people are so kind there. And, and there's yeah. just such a great, it's like a floating continent. There are differences with each island, but there is a sort of a shared, there's so many similarities too, that it feels like such a distinct, beautiful part of the world. And like that's what I think is the unique thing of it too, is that like, it is, it's small geographically, but not culturally. And I think people do forget that. Yes. And, and I agree, like, yeah, like growing up in Canada, I didn't even know about Canadian indigenous people enough. We learned like 10 things to do with a Buffalo bladder, but I couldn't tell you like anything else. So I've actually learned a lot. Like that's one of the reasons why I love podcasts. And like, and I think as a traveler too, like audiobooks are great, but sometimes you want like continuity because mm-hmm. I think lives like as nomads and people who travel a lot, they're like there's a lot of change, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I kind of like having a podcast come up every week where it's like, I'll know the voice, I'll get like some familiarity and like, and there's like calling family, but that can be, I don't know, most of my family is like, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah. at least yeah. the podcast is like non-judgmental. I don't have to <laughs> explain my life, but yeah. you, get, you get that, like you get to learn things you can, it's free, which is my favorite part, but like there is yeah. that ability to kind of learn about your homeland, learn about other places and get to kind of adventure or have some familiarity while you adventure. 
Yeah. And honestly, tours and bureaus are a wonderful resource too, mm-hmm. to see, you know, but also like you mentioned indigenous culture in Canada, there's an indigenous tourism association yes. that's a live interactive maps. So you can see where you're staying, like if it's indigenous owned and then different restaurants and how to really support and give back to the culture. I wish we had a, I wish we had something comparable in the United States, but yeah, like, and it's always important. Like I know this almost goes back to souvenirs, but in native America, native America. Wow. In Alaska, (laughs) you could tell if it's authentic native art, if there's like a silver palm and you sometimes have to pay more, but it's worth it because you need, why, like you don't want it made in China and you want to make sure you're supporting those communities. So, and what's what's heartening is like there was a study about what motivates travelers these days, particularly younger travelers. And obviously Instagram was a huge part of it. But the other thing was urban travel and like cultural immersion. And like both of those things are people like people want to have an authentic is sort of I can feel like it can be a derivative and almost dismissive term. But, you know, it used to be that you could stay anywhere in the world, but when you're staying in a Four Seasons or Four Seasons does reflect its surroundings, but it's almost like you can be anywhere in the world, but you're staying in a five-star hotel that makes you feel like you're anywhere. And people don't want that anymore. People want to really feel like they've left their, you know, people want to feel they're really immersing themselves in a different place. So that's heartening. Yeah. And I think that like the rise to, I think during the pandemic of people learning about kind of Airbnb has always been amazing for that because it is like locally owned, locally kind of representative. Um, but there is also the rise of people looking for like unique homes to stay in, like where they're reflective of the area. So like staying in like authentic. Um, unfortunately, there's been a few like teepees to stay in in northern Canada that I don't think are they're usually not native owned. They're usually like a white person setting up something that's very yeah. appropriation. But there are some like really beautiful like tree houses and things that are like reflective of the area. There are tribes that are opening up um, areas nearby for you to go visit and stay. And even like like around the world, there are all these like different ways of staying in places that are more unique and reflective of the area that I think are really important. And another element of that, which I would not have really known before I was in the Galapagos and I was in the Himalayas last year. Yeah, last year. And I was always like, okay, well, you don't, and you don't need a ton of, like, it's cheaper to do a week in Kenya than it is to do a week in Paris, you know? So you don't need to spend a ton, but like, I'd always been like, well, if you could stay in the cheapest place possible, just get there. But being in Nepal and, you know, it's a race to the bottom. Unlike Bhutan, where you need to spend a certain amount of day and it really, you know, enriches the local population. In Nepal, these American, you know, backpackers, giving American backpackers a bad name, but they'll spend less than $10 a day in these hotels. And it's like, you have to be ethical about it. Like, how do you expect the person who's hosting you to be able to feed their family if you're spending less than you would be spending in your home in America? And so there's like a move towards like, I, I wrote about a lot of luxury travel in Nepal and it's expensive, but not even expensive compared to other parts of the world. And I guess like my travel triumphs for it is really my trip in Nepal, but, and then the Galapagos islands, like they're trying to raise the amount of money that you need to spend each day to be on the islands. And then someone was like, well, isn't that sort of elitist? And it's like, no, like you go anywhere else in the world, like Africa, a lot of parts of Africa have done it well, but like, why should it be that Americans can fly down to South America and go to the Galapagos and like not, you you need to be giving back. You need to be supporting the communities. And part of that is obviously where you go, where your money goes, but also that some of it's a no brainer. Like if you shouldn't be going somewhere and be like, okay, I'm going to live off $5 a day, which you can do in places like Nepal and even places like Ecuador. And you know, I'm not saying I'm not discouraging budget travel because honestly, like I was doing a ton of budget travel as a student and afterwards as well. 
that you need to sort of, it's almost like you have your um, carbon emission thing that you offset, you know, I flew, but I'm going to donate this. You should do it that way. Like, you know, I'm not saying that you need to be, that you should be spending money you don't have, but you need to be looking at it ethically. And also with the American exchange rate, looking at it ethically is quite easy to yeah. do. You know, I'm not, I mean, it'd be hard to do in London, you know, you'll lose half your net worth essentially, but if you're in South America already, you're going to get a deal because you're using American dollars and just, yeah, focus on where those dollars go. Well, I think that's like, I always like to use the hiking motto where it's like, leave no footprints, like, or leave nothing but footprints, pardon me, but yes. like, like leave no trash. But at the same time, like if you can leave positivity in some way, and I think, cause, cause yeah, like you show up and you are disruptive to any culture, like you're not from there. And if you think about like, I don't know, in your hometown, like in Toronto, people always complain about tourists and like them walking around or walking slow or whatever. And it's like, that's the least disruptive type of tourism. Yeah. So like, think about how disruptive everything else is. And if you're not then putting a positive back into society, you're kind of tipping the scales in the wrong way. Um, one thing too, that would I say leave nothing is also don't shy away from like moments of true cultural exchange. Like in Belize, like we, I went to this Garifuna heritage center and the Garifuna people, they arrived in the West Indies before before the arrival of like the slaves, the yeah. slaves, like they're Africans. And then they came from Africa, the West Indies. And then when the slave trade arrived in the West Indies, a lot of them fled to Central America. Mm-hmm. And we went and stayed, it's like outside of Hopkins Village in Belize. And this family like essentially like does this family and like some other members of the community do this amazing thing where like you're cooking with them, you learn like to drum circle and like there are ways to engage and like people also want to share their stories. Like I'm like Joe, I keep referencing Joe Williams Jr. today, but like he was like telling these stories of Tlingit tribe. And he's like, well, if we don't tell the stories, the stories will die with us. So, you know, just being, being aware and being attuned of that. And also people like, people do like to share their stories. Just make sure, just make sure that you're going to the actual source. And then, and then people, it like, I don't know what I find so beautiful as a travel writer is that people get to tell me their stories and then I get to write about them. And I always wonder, I always worry a bit sometimes because I quote people extensively, like they should know because I've got my little notebook out. I'm taking notes like, but then I'm like, God, like, I hope like the story I wrote about the Amazon, this guy, Alex Ducano, his family, he grew up in the Amazon. His family survived a Jaguar attack. He's fascinating. My story my entire story was essentially Alex and like the other guy at Edavon. And I sent it and I was like, God, I hope he, he doesn't mind. And he read it and he was like, I, I wish I told you even more. Yeah. You know, people want to share their stories. They want to be heard. Everyone wants to be heard and seen. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you referenced your travel triumph. Uh, so we would love if you would share that with us as well. The reason that, I mean, things go wrong, but travel's still worth it. And we like to remind everyone about that. <laughs> yeah. So actually it's a good time because I just mentioned Nepal. Um, but my travel triumph is going to be so I'd always wanted to see Mount Everest and like some people, I think there are some travelers who are so annoying or just annoying people who are like, oh, like you like Chinese food when you go to China, you like Chinese food in China is way different. You're not going to like it. Or like the forbidden city is overrated. Like, guess what? Like if you have it in your minds, it's for me, never been overrated. Like there are places I'd want to see like Masai Mara, the Great Wall of China, the Great Wall of China, the Amazon rainforest, the Galapagos Islands, always unbelievable. But Mount Everest was, you know the biggest for me, no pun intended. It was the summit because I read into thin air. I've like been fascinated with the documentaries. I'm fascinated by Nepali culture. And my brother lived in Kathmandu when he was an undergrad and like so cool. And I wasn't able to visit him. And 
I hate, you know, my sister's been to more countries and my mom than me, than I have still, which is ridiculous. But like, you know, I'm a sibling. I'm like, God, I can't have, let him have them. I don't. I got connect, connected with Jack Edwards, who's a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And his family started the first ethical elephant safari in Nepal. And so basically this trip was absolutely outrageously amazing. I flew into Kathmandu. I was up in um, Dwarik has this amazing luxury resort where I went into, um, to both Dwarik has. And then I guess my most like astounding moment is this trip is just building. If Nepal was flattened, it would be like the, one of the largest countries in the world because yeah. I have so much vertical terrain. I have done a lot of adventure travel and I never would have guessed that I would have been, that would have been one of my niches or niches. I don't even know how to say that. Um, too many words I write and read and do not pronounce apparently. I'm the exact same. I learned, yeah. I say, my sister was listening to the podcast ask, actually. And she was like, you say mishap. And I was like, that's how it's spelled. She was like, that's not the word. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I just learned anathema the other day. I was like anathema. They're like, what yeah. are you talking about? Um, but so I'd done this amazing trek in Peru with REI, which was glorious. It was called the Asangate Trek. And that was like the most rigorous. It was like a, a, it was like a four out of five. Five was the Everest base camp. But that really gave me the courage and being like, I can hike, I can track. Because basically it's just persistence. Yeah. So at the, the, the sort of finale of my trip in Nepal, which had been so spectacular, I did Pikey Peak and I was trekking with Mountain Travel Nepal. And the safari I visited was also, um, was called um, Tiger Tops. I saw a tiger in the wild. Insane. But so I'm hiking. I made best friends with this guy, Sogat, who I'm obsessed with. We FaceTimed the other week. He's like 23 from Nepal, loved Drake. And so <laughs> I would make references with my friend Marie, who was guiding me around. Like, but she's from Denmark and she wasn't on board with Drake and J. Cole. And like, Sogat, like, we just became best friends. Yeah. And I'm weirdly, like, I feel like I, I go through phases with the food when I'm traveling, like, but in Nepal, like, Mountain travel in Nepal is amazingly luxurious. There's a lot of food given, but I was so cold at points. I wasn't that hungry, but I was just craving. And I'd been on the road for a while, mm-hmm. on the plane for a while. Like, I'd just been all over. I went right from New Zealand to Nepal. And like, oh yeah, I was craving a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, always. So we're hiking to the top. Trekking in Peru is very much switchbacky. Trekking in the Himalayas, as you might expect, is a bit more vertical. I'm like wheezing. I'm like, oh my God, I got to the top of Pikey Peak. And pretty much your eye level, you're looking straight out at Mount Everest. There are um, prayer flags everywhere. And I just had this feeling of like, I did it. I made it. Like, I won- I'm, I was so happy in that moment, like seeing what I saw. Like, And then I just, I put on, I'm from New Jersey. I put on Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run on my <laughs> phone. And so got the chef who I loved, handed me this peanut butter and jelly sandwich at the top. And it was like just a moment of like pure bliss for me. I was like, oh my God. You know, talking about the American, the American in the Himalayas with Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and PB&J. But yeah, I just, I've been so inspired by the people I met, the places I saw, the vistas, nothing. I've never been, and maybe this is good for my career. I've never gone to a country ever. I've never gone anywhere and not found what's cool about it. Like that's my job. It's not my job to be bored, but like you talk about bucket list trips, trips that have reminded me why I travel. It's like, you know, China, Kenya, Peru, Nepal, and actually the Arctic and Finland. There are more, there are far more Brazil, the Amazon, but I find that like something like, I think that when you want to go somewhere, it's like your soul is telling you and your heart knows it'll be like Kenya. I'd always wanted to go my entire life. And when I went there, I cried every morning, just of joy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think your heart, your heart knows where your body needs to go. So follow that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good point. Like 
I always tell people to like to lean into the homesickness a bit, like because homesickness does happen. And it's one of those things that people like fear travel because they fear homesickness. And I'm like, I get homesickness when I'm sitting in my house because like what it is, yes. it's not like being homesick. It's like, you're missing mm-hmm. something and then you call it homesickness because it's a comfort. And so like lean into like, find those comforting things and like add them in. Cause like, mm-hmm. like yeah, I don't advocate like eating McDonald's every day when you travel. <laughs> Let's say like if chicken nuggets are like a thing that you like shared with your like family growing up and it was like, it matters to you get chicken nuggets in Italy. Like who cares? Like have that, like let yourself feel what you feel. And then like, but then you also get to like kind of tie like an old memory into a new one, which I think is like a nice thing to do too. Cause like you'll bring that travel nostalgia home later, but now you can bring like the home nostalgia with you Mm -hmm. to your travel and you can kind of meld those two things together in a really beautiful way. And then, yeah, like finding those moments of appreciation where like yeah, like eating a PB and J. Who else has eaten a PB and J? Yes, bring it in that spot. Like I think, like it's unique. It's a wonderful and I mean, yeah, like we love stories on this podcast, obviously, but it, it's a good story. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I mean, bringing out my like inner grad school dweeb, I did. I studied literature, but I wrote about the transcendental homelessness, like Lukács, George Lukács, who's a Hungarian philosopher, has this idea of like transcendental homelessness, where it's sort of like exactly what you're talking about, like a homesickness for a place you've never even been. Like David Foster Wallace has so many great lines. He's like, how is it like, you know, we we miss people we've never met. Mm -hmm. And I think with travel, what it does is it just brings all of the emotions to the surface all the time. Like there's a reason we cry on planes. Like I cried on a plane recently. Like, you know what I mean? But it does bring everything to the surface, the good, the bad. And it's sort of cleansing and healing. I don't know, a friend of mine was like, there's nothing more restored, like nothing is more cleansing than like international travel. And I agree, like I'd gone through a breakup and it was like, God, I got to get myself to Tunisia, which yeah. is crazy, but like you do get perspective and it's beautiful. Like travel does, they bring it, it brings it all to the forefront. That's why it is, it's hard, it's scary because you're going to face a lot of things internally, but those things are beautiful. And to quote Mark Twain here, I love this quote, but he was like, travel is fatal to hatred, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Like man can't develop charitable visions of mankind if you just have like fester in your own little corner of the world for your entire life. And right now we're all festering, but like, I do think travels, like travels, love, travels, empathy, travels, travels a necessity. So, and it's also an economic necessity for a lot of people with the GDP. So I also believe it will bounce back. Yes. Well, and on that very happy note, um, thank you so much for joining us on Tripping Up. And we hope that your life gets to kind of bounce back to normal as well when travel does too. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. I hope you guys enjoyed that extra long episode of Tripping Up. I had a really great time talking with Catherine, who actually goes by Kate, but we didn't want to confuse y'all, about everything about travel writing. I totally relate to her, and I think that's why I really wanted her to be the bonus episode this year. That way you guys got a sense of what our patrons get. So if you go on to Patreon and search Tripping Up, you'll find even more great episodes just like this that are a bit longer and give you some more travel insights. But back to Catherine. Catherine, as you know, is an expert travel writer. She shares so many stories about the world with all of her readers. You can get even more of Catherine's travel stories by checking out some of her recent articles, like The Insider's Guide to Skiing in Jackson Hole This Winter which is featured in Departures magazine. 
In the article, she details how to have an epic ski vacation without leaving the U.S., which is like super COVID appropriate, <laughs> including a shot of waffles with peanut butter and bacon that I genuinely think is going to haunt my dreams. Or her article on seven road trips to explore the American West, a perfect COVID-friendly travel guide that harkens back to her childhood of road tripping with her family. You don't want to miss these awesome road trips within the U.S. to take by yourself and kind of live your own U.S. adventure experience. Maybe you'll challenge Catherine on her 50-state status soon. For more on Catherine, please check out her Instagram at Catherine Parker Magyar. I'll link it down with all of her articles uh, that you should check out in the show description. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to tune in in two weeks for a very special Christmas countdown episode. I look forward to seeing you. And as always, guys, safe travels. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.